if we are simply working in our own little silos, we miss the opportunity to do interdisciplinary work and to do really deep innovation work. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by JVentures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley and is sponsored by Hillel Stanford, Upwest, and Hippo Insurance. Our guest for episode 189 is Jennifer Kenny, an advisor to innovation and transformation executives. Jennifer has over 25 years of experience in strategy, leadership development, and technology-driven transformation after having held senior positions with Accenture, Booz Allen, and Gardner, as well as executive roles with Wells Fargo, Cisco, UCSF, and Stanford Research Institute. She was awarded the internationally acclaimed IDG Demo Entrepreneurship Award and the ITLG Silicon Valley Top 50 Award. Today, she speaks, writes, and delivers transformational programs globally. Jennifer, Kenny, thank you for being on my show, 20 Minute Leaders. How are you? Very well. Delighted to join you. Thank you. Thank you. Where are you calling from right now? I'm calling from Marin County, just north of San Francisco. Oh, wonderful. Beautiful, beautiful area. Uh, Jennifer, I'm extremely excited for this talk because uh, there's going to be a lot we're going to have to talk about because you have so much experience in the realm of innovation and leadership and and balanced leadership, which we'll get to as well, um, and really the the role of it of the role of innovation within within organizations. Um, I'd love to start out with your journey and who is Jennifer and and how did you get to where you are today? <laughs> um, so I'm actually a, a geotechnical engineer by training. So I started off doing geology and chemistry, um, but that is the essence of systems thinking. Uh, so anyone out there who's a geologist, um, they know they're one of the best systems thinkers on the planet because we understand the planetary nature of systems thinking. Um, and then I um, ended up doing work uh, in technology um, because I wasn't, uh, as a woman, wasn't allowed to do the work I wanted to do in geology. And really? so I joined um, Anderson Consulting in London and that began my career in technology. They effectively gave me the equivalent of a computer science degree, which was fantastic. Um, and I have been in technology and information technology since, uh, re- uh, most recently as a CIO down at Stanford Research Institute, and now more recently, very, very focused on the whole research and innovation space. So, so research and innovation space, what, what does that even mean? What, is that, what does that even entail? Yeah, so what that entails is working directly with people who are doing um, robotics, autonomous driving, artificial intelligence, blockchain, all of that kind of work um, in, uh, in, the re- in their research capacity. So really helping teams of people uh, do their optimal to build uh, emerging, the emerging technologies that are going to be super exciting for the future. And we're beginning to see some of that already. So what, what, is, what is your expertise in that realm? So you mentioned a bunch of different industries and they're very, very, you know, d- different from each other and each require different expertise. What do you see yourself as, as the added value that you bring when you're, when you're examining these different companies and you're working with these leaderships? Yeah, so my specific expertise is in what I refer to as human innovation. Human innovation. Um, which is the ability, yeah. So uh, I ended up doing this work primarily because uh, working in information technology, I always saw that there was a huge missing in people's ability to be able to do really, really good design work. And I don't mean product design work. I mean how it is that we actually co-invent together. 
Um, and one of the enormously powerful capabilities for innovation teams today is the individual and collective human beings' ability to be able to co-invent. Because as our technologies become progressively more complex, if we are simply working in our own little silos, we miss the opportunity to do interdisciplinary work and to do really deep innovation work. Um, so I focused um, through working with some of the really serendipitously working with some of the world's sort of thought leaders um, when I was younger um, in understanding human cognition and human language and how that influenced our ability to be able to innovate and co-invent. Um, and I have brought that now um, through years of practice and discipline into the research and innovation space. And so I work with teams to um, increase their innovation capacity. Okay, so Jennifer, I'm running a team, let's say. I'm starting a company and I have different silos and we're working on a variety of different projects. What are things as a leader that I can harness in the realms of innovation? How do I foster innovation uh, instead of stifle it? Yeah, so one of the things is um, really beginning to look at a different framework for understanding how it is that we manage and lead. Traditionally, all of our management and leadership um paradigms and principles have originated from command and control where we are the leader and we are supposed to be all-knowing. And those of us who've been around long enough know that that's a complete fallacy. Um, and so it's really how do you begin to enhance your capability to have the brilliance of your team emerge and that you become a cultivator of emergence rather than you become uh, someone who's telling other people what to do. And so it's beginning. So I would end up working with you to help you build that, um, build yourself as that observer, increase your capabilities in that space, and be able to really improve the autonomy and mastery of your team as a result of doing that. Right. So I guess the balancing question, the complementary question to that is what common pitfalls do you see among amongst leaders? So, you know, leaders are all, all around us, whether it, they're C-level executives at companies or they're, or they're tech team leaders or they're teachers in a school that are their own leaders in, in many ways. What do you see as, what do you see are some common pitfalls that, that people do that they're just harming both themselves and the team? Yeah, I think one of the saddest ones is believing that you need to have all the answers. Uh, and a lot of leaders really think that that's their role. Um, I think one of the fundamental differences between leaders who amplify others and who cultivate others are people who are really clear on what it is they know and what they don't know and who are open to continuous learning from all from people all around them. And I think if you look at some of the more brilliant leaders today, they will openly acknowledge they hire people who are smart, smarter than, the, than them, and they deeply listen to those people. Uh, so a lot of it is our belief that we should have the answers and then our belief that um, listening is, is actually more about hearing than it is really about attuning yourself to someone else's brilliance, which is kind of what you're doing with this interview process. <laughs> Right, you're tuning into what's what's unique and brilliant about these people I'm talking to. Well, well, I'm definitely trying, and and I think that one of the one of the fun things that I get to do is I get to learn, you know, really interesting things from every person's you know insight. So you've had so many years of experience in this field, and and I have the privilege of now saying here and sort of interrogating you to find those nuggets that uh, that that could be meaningful on my journey. But that difference between hearing and tuning in, mm -hmm. talk to me about that a little. Uh, so what we tend to do is we tend to communicate with each other from the perspective of transferring information um, rather than really taking the time to 
um, be uh, deeply listen, be empathetic and really understand what matters to other people, what other people are passionate about, what they care about and how they see and interpret the world. And we people can be trained how to do that. And in doing that, what they do is they begin to um, build, the br- build the bridges and build the opportunities that allow them to be able to co-invent where the capabilities of two people or three people or four people come together and produce something that neither of them could produce independently. So that the magnifying, the, the amplifying and magnifying capability of um, people learning how to build this skill set and this competency is pretty significant. So as we continue on, on this journey of, you know, research with innovation, what is left to uncover, do you think? Because it sounds to me like, the, the, you know, the, the way that humans are and the, the way you would do teamwork, there's been so much research done on that in the past, I, I guess, century. Is there much more to innovate when it comes to human innovation? I think there's tons more. So we're doing a super interesting project with a client at the moment where we're looking at how do we... Um, really deeply understand the decision-making process of some of the lead innovators, what it is that they're seeing, how they're interpreting the world, how they're making those decisions, how much of it is um, based deeply on their experience and how much of it is replicable by other people. So we're literally building an ontology of research innovation uh, and looking at how we do that. And then one of the other areas that I think is one of the biggest levers today, which is fundamentally um, underserved and, and not understood um, is the gender balance aspect. I think right, that, yes. Yeah, yeah. We have we have long neglected um, both within ourselves and across our teams the ability of human beings to be able to expand their repertoire of understanding and interpretation of the world, to be able to encompass all aspects of our capability for 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 at the most course level you know, from a masculine and feminine perspective from men and women, but also in, within the individuals where we're able to expand our repertoire of, of uh, leadership traits and qualities and also understanding. Um, and I think that as we see more women enter into the uh, emerging tech space and also enter into the innovation space, we're beginning now to identify what are some of those leadership capabilities that are unique and that we want to cultivate and amplify and then also what's the impact of those in terms of being able to increase innovation capability and accelerate our innovation ambitions. Right. And actually, you know, one thing that, that I just loved is you corrected me right before we started this show, because I was because when we started talking about, you know, the females and male leaders, and then I was talking, yes, diversity in tech is something that's very common. And you said, well, well, Michael, it's not diversity. It's 50 percent of the population. This is balance. Uh, leadership. And I just love that. I'm, I'm adopting that and I'm going to be an advocate for that moving forward. What, what, so what is it about now? What, what is happening in this space today? And what do you think needs to happen so that we have more balanced leadership with, with, with all the positives that come with it? Yeah, yeah, good. Um, so I think it is about balance and, and, and not about diversity, because again, it is half of the global population, a little bit more than half, actually, which makes it even more interesting. Um, but I think what's missing in here is we've looked at this um, not as a business opportunity, but as a social justice necessity. And I think that is a huge fallacy that has undermined everything that we're trying to do. So as business leaders, some of the more sophisticated, advanced for, business leaders with tremendous foresight are recognizing um, that there is a goldmine of opportunity there. 
And if we can figure out how to leverage that opportunity, the, you know, the leaders will obviously win there, the people who, who are the first movers. Um, the difference that I have discovered through the research that I've been doing um, in, in terms of wasted opportunity is that we really don't have a way of talking about what it is that women are doing differently when they lead. And there's growing awareness, particularly with the pandemic, because we're seeing that the countries that are led by women have done much more successfully in the pandemic. Yes, yes. Right? We're all asking ourselves why. And so I um, decided about, about 20 years ago that I was really interested in trying to understand what women were doing differently and how could you... How could you name it? How could you identify it? How could you make it clear for other people so they could understand it? And then how could you move that to helping people value it and expand their repertoire of leadership? And not just women, but women and men, because some of the more brilliant men that I've worked for um, have both male and female leadership capabilities and their ability to embrace those makes them better leaders. And so trying to understand not only how that works for us as individual human beings, but how that works across teams and how we can take advantage of that is, is something that I've been focused on for a while and how that then impacts our innovation capability. So, and does that also translate into your work with how women invest as a founding LP there and those sorts yeah. of initiatives? Yeah, what's super interesting with how women invest, and I was talking to our general partner the other day, and I said, look, there's a radical difference between the traditional venture capitalists who have been venture capitalists in pursuit of capital and distributing, you know, capital where they think they're going to make higher returns and what how women invest has built. And what they've done is they have produced really, I refer to it now, and 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 um, there's growing awareness that this is what it is, is we're venture catalysts. Because what we're doing is we're taking money and using it to change opportunities for people. And not from a, um, you know, for benefit or social justice perspective, but we're taking the the entire um, venture capital space and saying um, how women invest has over a hundred limited partners. And what they're doing is that means that there are a hundred women who understand the venture process, who are there to advise and support the startups and who are having this catalytic effect across the community that they're in the middle of, which is 14,000 women across the world. And so the, the, the potential impact of that from a, um, transformation standpoint is really huge. So wow. I'm super excited about the way my brilliant general partners have designed their fund and the potential long-term impact it can have across the community. That That's incredible. But Jennifer, I have to now transition a little bit to you and your passion, because how do you go from being a vice president at Wells Fargo and a senior director at Cisco and chief information officer and chief information and security officer at the, at the Stanford Research Institute and you go from there to, to having this surge of passion to, to cultivate innovation and understand better about balanced leadership. What, what, are the, what, what made that transition? Why, why are you doing that? So that wasn't, it's not really a transition because I've been doing that my entire career. I've always, um, so I'm fundamentally lazy and I always <laughs> look for what's the big lever. And so since the time I was younger than you, I went into business and I went, I need to find the big lever. I don't want to have to work as hard as these crazy people around me. So for me, the biggest lever was 
How do you reframe ideas? How do you um, change the way people think about things? And how do you bring people with you because they want to come, not because you're telling them that that's what they need to do? So um, my focus has always been on how do you um, uh, how, how do you engage human beings differently? And that to me is the biggest lever. If we don't understand how to be able to mobilize resources behind what we think is important and find commonalities with other humans, we're, we're always having to do the heavy lifting. And so I've used this approach um, that I learned in my early 20s in everything that I've done. Um, and it's allowed me to be able to build some incredibly powerful teams because I'm focusing on the emergent capabilities. And that was actually the name of one of my companies. Um, and then I've also used it to be able to go, how do I help other people do that so that they can build more powerful teams around them to be able to realize some of the dreams and passions that they have? So give me one or two tips that I can take for myself as I try to empower others to want to join my team or want to do things for because they want to and not because they have to, because it sounds like that's a key, key aspect of innovation and part of your success at all these wonderful companies and corporations that you worked at. Yeah. So I think um, one of the things there is um, the design element is people tend to follow people who do brilliant design. Because people who do brilliant design are looking to reduce the noise in the system and increase the signal. And what it does is it creates environments where I, as a, someone who would be on your team, can be more successful just by virtue of the systems that you build around you. Um, so one of the little adages I've been using with some clients recently is an hour of design is, is better than 10 hours of, of delivery. And so the people who build their design capacity and design thinking is obviously a fantastic tool for doing that, not just applied to product, but applied to everything that we do, um, is build your design capacity and then recognize that what you're doing in the middle of that design work is you're providing frameworks and constructs and opportunities for people to be able to learn and grow much more effectively. Right. And is there, is there some you know, the feedback loop that you're getting from people, I'm assuming that's a pretty big part of it, right? Because you could be thinking that you're that you're operating in a certain way and that you're empowering people in a certain way. A lot of this is relationship driven. How do you get that feedback from others? Yeah. So um, one of the fantastic things about the design thinking work is and systems thinking is that you want to be able to expose yourself to as many feedback loops as possible. Right. So when you're doing your design, you're looking to immerse yourself, not just in feedback that other human beings will give you, that's super valuable, but also in feedback that the system itself will give you. So the focus on um, uh, customer-focused work, the focus on customer-based design work, the focus on um, interdisciplinary teams who are going to provoke your thinking in different ways, and how do you really create an immersive experience for yourself and for your teams in the biggest, broadest ecosystem you possibly can so that you're doing this constant learning. Uh, and commit yourself to that. and But do it in a deliberate way. I think a lot of people might do immersive learning work, but if you're not doing it in a deliberate way where you're looking to constantly improve your learning capacity and build mastery over that, then you're missing out on a huge opportunity. So I'm, I'm all about deliberate practice. 
A hundred percent, a hundred percent. By the way, you mentioned earlier that the part of your motivation for developing these processes and relationships is because you saw how hard people were working and you were trying to optimize a lot of things. And by, and, and I, I'm, I think that it's pretty clear from this conversation that you're working much harder than most people that I know. So uh, so thank you. Uh, thank you for, for the inspiration behind both the optimization, but continuing to work so hard. Jennifer, before we go, I have to ask you the most important question and the hardest one. Three words that you would use to describe yourself and why why did you choose those specific words? Yeah, so um, I'm a co-inventor. I love doing things with other people. I love seeing co-inventor. I love that co-inventor. Yeah, it's what I part of what I teach people to do. So I love being able to invent things with other people, and I love being able to see the brilliance and the beauty in other people and bring that out and and share with them and create something bigger than both of us um, or than all of us. So that's one of one of my favorite things to do. Um, the other thing is I'm a pragmatist and an executor because in the end of the day, there has to be value for vast amounts of other human beings. Otherwise, you know, it's more effort than it's worth. And then the other thing that I do that a number of people have said to me that I have never really um, thought of myself as, but now I'm beginning to, is I name ideas. So I will see people kind of grasping for something that they want to make happen in the world. And I work with them to define that, to distinguish that, to translate that into an offer or a product or a service or whatever it is, and really name what that is, not from a marketing perspective, but from a um, development and deep understanding perspective and, and name ideas and help them bring those ideas to, to reality. So I, that's, I love it. Jennifer, yeah. thank you for the inspiration. Thank you for being so generous yeah. with your time. I know how busy you are and I can't wait to share this with the world. Thank you. Thank you very much. Pleasure, Michael. Take care. Bye. 